human invention mastered over thousands of years to provide food, travel, and commerce to the ever-evolving need of modern man. Boats are fun. They're buoyant excuses for rich people to drink champagne, wear white floppy hats, and have poor people serve them oysters. But boats are scary. They're like a layer of wood and fiberglass that's the only thing keeping you from drowning, getting eaten by a sea creature, or keeping you from catching hypothermia. And boats are traumatic. The slightest thing can go wrong, and if you survive, you'll be left with a lifetime of mental anguish and trauma and maybe even some survivor's guilt. My final episode of an elongated season seven will cover all of these topics, but mostly the traumatic ones, as I present Boat Zaster. Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is not normally discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. And each week, one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from amputation, masturbation, menstruation, and castration. If there's a film subject too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Hi, Tom. Hey, Slate. How are you? Oh, man. I'm doing good. I got a couple things to put out before you start Do your it. episode. Put it out. Put out, Tom. <laughs> put out. Asked by literally nobody. This is some interactions from listeners that we'd gotten. So the ones that I'd gotten that were references to my episodes, one was from listener Bobby. They said that they were surprised that I didn't bring up the snake from the first Friday the 13th, that it was an actual snake that got hacked up by a machete and that the handler was unaware that it was going to happen which is fucked up. I'd be pissed. That's yeah. like your pet. Yeah, so that should have been in one of my critter-killing things, I suppose. Did you fact-check that? I did not. Bobby, he might be a liar. He could be. My next one is from listener Matthew, and he said, I just finished the Puke and Jizz episode. One jizz movie you missed was a Chinese film called Chinese Torture Chamber. If you guys haven't seen it, it's probably right up your alley. Combine pretty gruesome violence with almost slapstick comedy. Yeah, sounds, sounds great. Yeah, sounds great, yeah. Anyway, there's a couple of jizz scenes, including one similar to Scary Movie in that. Hmm. So somebody probably gets pummeled by a fountain Big of giant jizz. fountain of jizz. Yeah. So we can all dream. Yep, yep. Sold. We'll watch it. And then the big one, this was actually really, really interesting. So listener Lucy, she's a teacher at, at a college in Michigan. And during one of her semesters, she taught a course called Motor Nation, Race, Gender, and Class. For extra credit, she said her students could listen to the Killer Cars episode. Hmm. 
and do a short write-up on it. And so they did, and they got extra credit, and she sent some of the write-ups. I'm not really going to read them here, but it was really, really cool that somebody yeah. actually studied my episode and a poor bastard had to write about it. <laughs> Educational. Yeah. So, yeah. So, we're legit, I, I yeah. guess. I don't know. Anyway. But that was cool. That was cool to hear. So, yeah. I'm glad somebody Thanks, got everyone. Keep them use. coming. Maybe yeah. we'll respond. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but eventually, we may read them on the air. Who knows? All right. So, yet again, I set off to write the episode called The Movies Made Me Do It. And, you know, the movies didn't make me do it. No. As much as I love true crime and as much as I don't think movies make people kill each other, it kind of opens up this can of worms that I just really didn't want to open up. It's instead of just talking about like movies and topics of movies, essentially talking about real people killing people. I mean, that's all they they do, you know, like it's that movies make people do like happy things. And we're not really going to talk about that. We're just going to talk about the people that watch a movie and then kill somebody. And I was just kind of like, (laughs) it just made me kind of feel a little sad. It was also kind of heading into like a film school term paper direction, and it just didn't quite feel right. And then I saw the movie Triangle of Sadness. It gave new meaning to the episode that I was working on that was called Seasick. And literally, if you've seen the movie Triangle of Sadness, it's all about barfing. And then I turned it all into Boat Zaster. That being said, Boat Zaster movies don't just focus around a boat that sinks, like in Titanic, which we're going to essentially spend two minutes on. I don't need to talk about Titanic for that long. Yeah. No, that's fine. We're also not talking about sharks or whales or aliens or humanoids from the deep because we've already done that in my episodes Underwater Slaughter and Beach Party Massacre. So today's focus is going to be around stranded, shipwrecked, lonely, desperate, cold, isolated, fucked up in the head, and of course dead because of boats. Yeah. All of my favorite things to talk about. Sounds great. I'm, I'm all in for it. So there's a lot of psychology around boats and ships and such because it's basically humans trying to conquer the sea, which they do not belong in. So I did a tiny bit of research on boats, just enough to get us to our first boat disaster movie in the early 30s. I'll try to whip through it. The earliest historical evidence of boats is found in Egypt during the 4th millennium BCE. Egypt is on the Nile River, and the ancient Egyptians lived off of the land and the water, so in their paintings and on vases and stuff, there are representations of boats as long as 300 feet used to carry obelisks. Those are basically those stone things that look like the Washington Monument that were usually grave markers. Mm-hmm. Further down the line, the Egyptians created sails for the ship as well. And then long story short, you start seeing boats in every other major early civilization. So Europe, Asia, etc. They all had different innovations to boats and they were used for fishing, for cargo, for war, for sport, and just plain old dicking around in boats, which is what I like boats for. Yeah, me too. But for today's purposes, there are three major types of boats. So you've got the unpowered or man-powered boats like rafts, gondolas, kayaks, etc. You've got sailboats, which are obviously propelled by sails and the wind. And then you've got motorboats. Uh. <laughs> got motorboats uh, like ships, yachts, and you know fishing vessels. Yeah. And so that brings us to our first film. That movie is Tarzan the Ape Man, starring Johnny Weissmuller from 1932. <laughs> Remember, we talked about him in the history of male nudity. Yeah, we did. So everybody knows who Tarzan is. He's the son of English nobility, and he was either marooned in Africa with his parents or was born there after his parents were marooned, depending on the version of the story. Both of his parents were killed and apes raised him. So this story may have been based, not true, may have been based on the 14th Earl of Streatham, William Charles Milden, who claimed that he was raised by apes for 15 years after he ran away from home and got marooned in Africa. Well, he had a lot of stories about this. None of them were 
were ever proven real. Either way, the marooning part of Tarzan is never shown in the movie, but was the focus around the eight zillion sequels of Tarzan, which is how he comes in contact with other non-African people. They basically get marooned and meet Tarzan and then Jane, of course, later, and then stuff happens. So that was kind of the first film of where you're really kind of basing the entire story, the entire plot around somebody who is marooned in a location and then is and then it changes him right also in 1932 is the movie island of lost souls which has a really controversial past so i'm super pumped to talk about it oh great you heard of this one i've heard of it i don't know much about it island of lost souls is a version of hg wells island of dr moreau which was an 1896 sci-fi expedition piece but it's all kinds of fucked up in the movie a freighter spies a shipwrecked guy named parker floating in the water and they rescue him but he gets in a fight with a drunk captain and they toss him into a small boat that is headed to a secluded island and that's where he meets dr moreau and he finds out about all of his experiments he's testing a new race of animal people they kind of look like gorilla people and he's done all kinds of plastic surgery blood transfusions gland extracts and ray baths and he's even made a dog human hybrid and a panther lady and the panther lady actually looks like a real woman but she has panther claws she's billed as panther lady just kind of like the way that spider baby (laughs) was and starring spider baby and panther lady and lonjani parker wants to get the hell off the island and everything goes to hell and the gorilla people all revolt and the island burns and everyone dies and parker gets off the island just in the nick of time island of lost souls is one of those films that was so controversial that it helps create the Hayes code just two years later but the script was even worse than the movie apparently there were scenes where dr moreau cut off someone's face and sewed it onto someone else's there's a lot more mating mating in quotation marks as reference in the original script as soon as it was released states started to censor it across the u.s and it was banned in germany the united kingdom hungary india italy latvia the netherlands new zealand singapore and south africa not latvia no i know god those latvians will never get to see uh mating (laughs) in the humans and animals mating mating season Even after the production code, the producers tried to re-release the film a few times and they were denied. This was the statement that the code finally released the the last time. The blasphemous suggestion of the character played by Charles Lawton, where he presumes to create human beings out of animals, the obnoxious suggestion of the attempt of these animals to mate with human beings and the excessive gruesomeness and horror all tend to make this picture definitely repulsive and not suitable for screen entertainment before mixed audiences. They didn't really mince words there. No, no, like, no they didn't. Fucked up. But speaking of podcast ideas this would have worked for your bestiality episode that you'll never make i know but could there isn't much boat disaster in island of lost souls i just wanted to talk about it because it was an early film but so is this next one and this movie takes place entirely on a lifeboat which is appropriate because the film is alfred hitchcock's film lifeboat from 1944 oh yeah Rough plot, during World War II, a U.S. ship and a German U-boat sink each other in combat, and nine very different types of survivors, from the very rich Tallulah Bankhead to the very poor crew, and they all end up in a lifeboat together. This is a theme we're going to see a few more times today. Okay. I thought this boat was abandoned. Not by me, it was. Keep going, Cobat. There's more people out there. Give me the baby. Where'd he come from? Does he remember? I never saw him before. Not off home. Throw him off. Have you gone out of your mind? Throw the Nazi buzzard overboard. That's out of the question. It's against the law. Whose law? We're on our own here. We can make our own law. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will stand up here. You fools! Stop thinking about yourselves! Think of the boat! There's a piece in here about some people that were adrift in a lifeboat for 80 days. Say, maybe we can beat that record. The entire movie starts and stops on the lifeboat, and there is no musical score. It's just nine people trying to be rescued. Huh. One of the women jumps over and kills herself because she can't live with the fact that her infant child didn't survive. A few people are thrown over the side and killed, and a leg is amputated. It's pretty grueling for 1944 standards, but it was a pretty big miss for Hitchcock in his earlier American film days. The movie was pretty controversial, not for any of the reasons I mentioned before, but for the sympathetic treatment of a German Nazi who was allowed on the raft because Hitchcock needed a villain on the boat, Hmm. and also the reductive and kind of stereotypical portrayal of the only black person on the lifeboat. It did get three Oscar nominations, including Best Director, and it's gained more acceptance in recent years, although it's not considered to be in his top 10. You never actually see the boat Zaster in Lifeboat, so the movie just opens up with all types of debris floating in the ocean, and then we see Tallulah Bankhead in the raft. But remember, there doesn't need to be a boat going down in order to be part of this topic, just general misery involving a boat, and this easily makes the cut. So that brings us to two of our first actual on-screen boat-going-down movies, which I'm going to do a little comparison of. Okay. The first one is A Night to Remember from 1958 and was up until 1997, the biggest major motion picture to attempt to film the sinking of the Titanic. Real quick, there's been numerous film versions of this, including Atlantic in 1929. There were three different Nazi propaganda versions with the third in 1943. And then Barbara Stanwyck and Robert Wagner in 1953's Titanic, which on the surface seems decent, but apparently was all kinds of historically inaccurate and the special effects were a bit low rent and it cost a fortune back then and barely even broke even Hmm. a night to remember made none of those same mistakes and was instead based on an extremely popular book which was based on first-hand accounts of the sinking every detail was poured over and it was told almost documentary style instead of a romanticized version like the previous films it was released had great reviews won a bunch of awards and made a grand total profit of nothing at the box office really it did decent sales in the uk but for some reason u.s audiences just were not interested. As of 1994, it still hadn't made any money, although it has a 100% score on Rotten Tomatoes. So That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I did not know that at all. So now it's 1960, and the producers of The Last Voyage build as 91 minutes of the most intense suspense in motion picture history looks at all the failed Titanic movies and does the exact opposite. They just make a movie where there is basically no historical accuracy, no love story, no lengthy exposition, just a ship that has a fire in the control room and Robert Stack just tries to save people as things keep going wrong and there's explosions and you really have no time to catch your breath just as the poster promises. Mm -hmm. Big giant box office hit, right? Yeah. Nope. Hmm. People stayed away from this one as well. It made on a $1.4 million budget, barely made $2 million at the box office. Really? Instead of waiting and going in chronological order, I'm going to go ahead and knock out the rest of the disaster film genre now, since we have a lot of cool, weird stuff to talk about in the future. So we're going to knock this out. Great. A Night to Remember was in 1958, and The Last Voyage was in 1960. And then there was a big, giant 12-year break. And so now here we are at the Poseidon Adventure in 1972. Yeah. The disaster film genre really found its stride in the 70s, and this film is one of the main reasons. Rough plot, although you can summarize this movie in like two sentences. A cruise ship traveling from New York to Athens is hit by a tsunami and it flips over. So everybody that survived now has to get from the 
top of the boat, which is now the bottom, to the bottom of the boat, which is now the top. Right. There's a lot of climbing, falling, water rushing into places water shouldn't be rushing in, and uh, explosions, of course. The Poseidon Adventure was a huge hit. Even though everyone agreed it kind of isn't a great movie, it was exciting, sure, but, but it was also pretty standard disaster fare. But what stood out were the special effects, which was probably the first time in one of these ship sinking movies, the horror of a ship going down was actually believable. So much that it was nominated for a decent amount of Oscars, mostly in the technical categories. So now when you look at something like Titanic in 1997, it makes sense why James Cameron spent so much time and money on the ship sinking scene, since everything else in film history would tell you that's what works in a disaster film. Right. Was a little strange. He's also spent an hour and a half on the class struggle romance between Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio, because film history would also tell you that no one really cares about the people on the boats and their hopes and dreams in their lives they just want to see the boat go down in a realistic and you know exciting way Mm -hmm. but this paid off too it won best picture and best director wasn't nominated for best screenplay and all the technical awards and is still in the top five highest grossing films of all time this doesn't mean that ship sinking movies have all been huge draws since the poseidon adventure a sequel beyond the poseidon adventure in 1978 received no oscar nominations and off a 10 million dollar budget only made two million. Oh wow it was remade in 2005 as a TV movie with Steve Gutenberg, and then famously in 2006 with Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas and lost a small fortune at the box office. While the effects Wait, are pretty... Did, did Fergie die in it? Yeah, she did. Oh. You and, see... And it didn't make more money? What? No, I know. It was the best part of the movie. Yeah, she just goes, pew! And then you never hear from Fergie again, which yeah, that's, so, that's yeah. the dream. can you see Early light, what so proudly wave at the twilight's last gleaming. While the effects were pretty decent at the time, it did get an Oscar nomination. Critics all agreed that the script was a bomb. So there really is no winning formula for a ship going down movie. They either work or they don't. Right. I'm changing course. I think that's a boat term because we're done with the disaster genre and it gives us a chance to talk about some different types of boat disasters. And the first one is one of my all-time favorites and that's Polanski's first foreign Polish film, Knife in the Water from 1962. You seen this one? No, and I own it. I have the Criterion oh, edition. I just haven't good. watched it yet. Good, good, good. I'm going to spoiler it. It's an odd little film, especially by American standards since it's a thriller, but it has no violence, no boat sinking, and no one drowns. Hmm rough plot. I can't pronounce any of these people's names, so I'm not going to try. A young married couple is headed for a sailboat trip, and they pick up a male hitchhiker along the way. There's some sexual tension on the boat, as all three of them are hot, and there's also some alpha issues between the men, because they're both trying to control the boat. You know, it's probably no coincidence here that boats are usually called she, or by female names. There's a fight between the two men, and the hitchhiker falls overboard, presumably drowning. The husband swims ashore to get help, but the hitchhiker reappears, having hid behind a buoy. I'm not going to tell you what happens after that, because it's really kind of a masterclass in filmmaking. And even though we're probably supposed to cancel Polanski, you can't deny that this is an amazing film that never would have been made in America. In essence, because not enough happens. Oh, I have to check it out. Yeah. I own it, so I've got no reason not to see it. Let's talk about another genre, pop 
pirates. Oh, great. <laughs> we could do an episode on pirates, but I don't really care about them for more than a few paragraphs. And this episode is kind of perfect for that because pirates are an example of people or, you know, kind of like a career choice that only exist on boating vessels and are there to do harm, which makes them a, a perfect subject to talk about in slums of film history. Yeah. Also, pirates are kind of gay. So I love that. <laughs> they do dress nice. Yeah. Everyone knows what a pirate is. They're the sea equivalent of a bank robber if a bank robber is a lifestyle and profession. So let's get into today's first film, and that's Captain Blood from 1935. Oh, nice. Captain Blood was Errol Flynn's first starring role, and it was a huge success, making him one of the biggest stars in the world in the 30s and extending into the 40s as well. Rough plot. In England in the 1600s, Errol Flynn is a doctor who treats the wounds of a man who has been injured in a rebellion against King James II, for which he's convicted of treason and sold into slavery in Jamaica, owned by Olivia de Havilland. She's a 19-year-old, but she's very kind. She's a kind slave owner. He and his <laughs> they just don't get enough representation yeah, I guess in not. films. Yeah. They, you, know, you don't see enough kind, kind slave, slave owners. owners. Yeah. yeah. He and his fellow slaves escape to begin a life of high seas piracy and eventually cross his path with Olivia de Havilland again years later. And he remembers her kindness and they fall in love. It's the world against us and us against the world. Those of you in favor of these articles, raise your right hands and say aye! Aye! You win the prize, Captain Blood. Set the course for Port Royal. But Peter, the English fleet is at Port Royal. Colonel Bishop, sweet, merciful heaven, haven't you ears? Set the course for Port Royal! This was a remake of an earlier film by the same title, but it was interesting in a way that Hollywood began its portrayal of pirates as rebels and independent and these hot heroes. Errol Flynn was hot, yeah. you know, hot little mustache, hot guy. When in reality, pirates are kind of like nasty, STI-infected, toothless murderers and plunderers. <laughs> That's probably what they were much more like than hot-ass Errol Flynn. Right, yeah. Errol Flynn's a monster, too, just FYI. Did a little bit of research on him. He's a monster. Oh, I didn't realize that hot monster hot monster errol flynn so you compare that so you compare hot errol flynn hot monster errol flynn with the portrayal of blackbeard who was a real actual pirate in the early 1700s in movies like disney's treasure island from 1950 and you get something very different the pirate is the film's villain blackbeard was thought to be from a pretty wealthy privileged family but basically at some point decided looting and plundering was a lot more exciting so he basically went rogue and became a pirate Blackbeard was the inspiration for movies like Blackbeard the Pirate in 1952, Blackbeard's Ghost from 1968, and of course the character of Captain Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean. For today's purposes, it's a villain, but a very kind of comedic and over-the-top, almost camp portrayal like in Peter Pan, which you remember I played Captain Hook in my high school musical of Peter Pan. It was very camp, too. <laughs> you think? Yeah. But now compare those two portrayals to the pirates in Captain Phillips from 2013. You seen this one? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good movie. Captain Phillips is a true story about a merchant boat captain who was taken hostage by Somali pirates in 2009, albeit not the type of pirates the movies were used to. These pirates were poor, armed black men with nothing to lose versus the white, well-fed, and unarmed Americans defending, ultimately, their professions and, of course, themselves. While this is an action biopic, I said it right. You did. Good job. <laughs> there is some sympathy towards this crazy act of desperation by the Somali pirates, specifically with this interaction. I got bosses. They got bulls. We all got bosses. There's got to be something other than being a fisherman and kidnapping people. 
Maybe in America, Irish. Maybe in America. All right, moving on. The next film I want to talk about is the 1960 film Purple Noon, which was the French adaptation of the book The Talented Mr. Ripley. We talked about this in LGBT Psychopaths. It's basically only one scene that we're talking about here today, but both adaptations of the book were completely different. Rough plot for both. Tom Ripley is paid by a very wealthy father to go to Italy and convince his son Dickie to go back to America and stop spending all the family's money. Ripley becomes obsessed with Dickie, both because his life is so great and also because he's, you know, super hot. In Purple Noon, Ripley stabs Dickie on his sailboat, wraps his body in canvas, weighs it down with an anchor, and then dumps it into the ocean. In the final scene, just as you think he's about to get away at the harbor, his body is found having got caught up in the sailboat's rudder, and it's presumed that he's going to get caught, although you don't see him get caught. In The Talented Mr. Ripley, Matt Damon and Jude Law are on a small motorboat. They get into an argument, and Matt Damon bludgeons him with a paddle. He sinks the body and the boat and ultimately gets away with it. That scene is gruesome, too. That scene is bloody. I love it. (laughs) So I want to switch gears and talk about the true story biopic a little bit more in depth now. Obviously, Titanic and Captain Phillips are both true stories, but Titanic is a straight-up disaster film, and Captain Phillips is really an action film. So these next four films are true stories of the human spirit and more of a man versus nature theme sometimes man wins sometimes nature wins right white squall from 1996 is based on the true story of the albatross an 80-foot sailboat built in the 20s that according to my dad i made my dad research all of the albatross stuff to give him something to do oh that's nice the boat was rebuilt a few times which ultimately made it top heavy when it hit a white squall which is a huge unexpected windstorm it flipped the boat and she sank normally a sailboat as described by my dad is built so that it will tip all the way over and then it'll basically flip back up. Right. But this one, they had rebuilt it and they fucked it all up. And so when it tipped over, it just kept going and it flipped over upside down. Oh, damn. In the 1996 film version from Ridley Scott, it's more of kind of like a melodrama around the passengers on the boat. Jeff Bridges is the ship's captain and he's kind of a hard as nails college sailing instructor who's taking a bunch of students on a year long sailing expedition because I guess that's what rich, white, young college men did in the 60s. I watch this one it's kind of a knockoff of goodwill hunting on a boat where some people die (laughs) it's an odd movie and not good no and it's slow yeah it's really slow the best part is the storm and that looks great and then everything else is garbage and the storm lasts for about five minutes and then it turns into a courtroom drama and you're just like i came here to see the boat flip over i came here to see your human struggle and not a court movie Mm -hmm. yeah so interestingly enough, the real Albatross was used in a boat disaster movie before it went down, Twilight for the Gods, starring Rock Hudson from 1958. So that Albatross had all kinds of movie history. Yeah, it did. Now compare that to The Perfect Storm from 2000, directed by Wolfgang Peterson, who also directed Poseidon. Pretty sure everyone knows this movie. It's about George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg, and it's kind of based on a true story about a commercial fishing vessel named the Andrea Gale that got trapped in a nor'eastern that absorbed Hurricane Grace and evolved into a small unnamed hurricane itself. There's kind of a plot here, but it's pretty much a working class version of White Squall. But the crux of the film is the boat attempts to get up a giant wave, but it doesn't make it to the top and the wave capsizes the boat. Spoiler alert, no one gets out alive. No. This movie was a hit, but it did not get good reviews. 
I saw it in the theater. I actually saw this on opening night in the theater too. And I remember being like, why did they make this a movie? <laughs> like, yeah. it's really only that one scene, two hours long, and then everybody dies. And it's like, movie's over. <laughs> kind of like, a great script. Yeah, 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 yeah. Two much smaller true story films took different approaches. The first was an Icelandic film called The Deep from 2012. It's about an older fisherman who survived for six hours in the freezing ocean after his boat capsized and swam to shore. Similar but much more Hollywoodified was Shailene Woodley and some guy from Hunger Games and Adrift from 2018, where a young couple on a sailboat to Japan get trapped in a cyclone and have to find their way to Hawaii with no radio, no sail, and no motor. So I'm going to spoiler both of these movies. Okay, because I don't give a shit about them. Okay, great. In The Deep, the man survives, of course, but all of this happens in the first half of the film. So this movie got great reviews and was the Iceland Oscar submission because instead of it being all about that, him just trying to survive for six hours in the water, and of course the human spirit and the triumph of all of that, which is you know obviously what Hollywood would have done, Yeah, he swims to shore and he survives it. And then the whole rest of the movie is about his survivor's trauma and to all of the things that now he has to do because he was supposed to die and he didn't. Oh, damn. So the entire second part of the movie is about his survivor's guilt, the debts he needs to repay, and and the science around the body in frigid temperatures. It basically has no themes of survival of the human spirit, which I'm sure you can guess is the entire plot of Adrift. Mm -hmm. This movie got decent reviews, although every critic mentions that this movie is very familiar subject matter that relies on the fact that Shailene Woodley's performance is the only thing that keeps the film afloat. Literally every single review. I read like eight reviews of this Mm -hmm. and they were all like, the only thing that keeps this movie afloat is, and I was like, oh my God, did you all, did you all just copy and paste each other's? They did. One little pun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also spoiler, when Shailene Woodley is conscious and crafty and smart and the guy from Hunger Games is basically unconscious the whole time and they're rescued, you find out at the end that the Hunger Games guy drowned and was never seen again and Shailene Woodley made up that he was still alive to help her through her survival. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's a nice little twist. Tried and true. Which is exactly what happened in Gravity. Yeah, exactly. Here's an odd little film that wasn't a true story. All is Lost from 2013 starring Robert Redford. You seen this one? No, but I remember when you went and saw it because you were telling me about it. Yeah, I saw the world premiere of it at the New York Film Festival. Yeah, back in 2013 and I'm pretty sure it was like my number two or number three favorite movie of the year. So, rough plot, Robert Redford is alone on a sailboat. He's the only cast member. The film only has 51 spoken words, and it's mostly just him narrating a goodbye letter that he's writing at the end to his friends and family. He knows he's going to die, and he throws the letter into a bottle and then tosses it overboard. The entire movie is him trying to keep the sailboat from going down, which ultimately it does, and then trying to keep his life draft from going down, which ultimately he does. This is my kind of movie. (laughs) Dark and depressing and hopeless. There's no words, one character, and even the title, All is Lost. I was like, this sounds good. Yeah. We haven't talked about anything paranormal yet, so let's get into some paranormal shit. Let's do it. One of the reasons I dug this episode back up was because of a director I discovered first with my Cannibal episode and then again with my Underwater Slaughter episode. His name is Rene Cardona Jr., and he made some pretty great Spanish-language films along with a few English-language films all shot in his native Mexico. From what I can tell for everything I've seen, it's all exploitation movie. I love this guy. Sweet. For today's purposes, we're going to talk about his film Bermuda Triangle from 1978, and guess what it's about? I, I What? I don't know. 
It's about the Bermuda Triangle, Tom. Oh, damn. So this is a fun one. A ship with the Marvin family enters the Bermuda Triangle and they find a doll floating in the water. The young daughter keeps it, but it's immediately clear that either the doll is possessed or the daughter is possessed or the boat is possessed. So everything is possessed in this movie. And weird shit keeps happening and everyone starts dying and the boat stops working and they can't call for help. When they finally get the SOS out, the person on the other end tells them that they can't send help for the boat because it went missing 12 years ago with the Marvin family and no one has seen them since. Oh, wow. A little time traveling uh-huh. thing going on, too. Speaking of which, there's a movie called Triangle from 2009. It's a British film that never got theatrically released in the U.S., but Netflix picked it up a few years ago, and I randomly watched it one day. Rough plot, a woman with an autistic son, not seen in most of the movie, goes on a boating trip, and the boat is capsized in a storm. They get to another ship where they see someone on board, but they quickly realize the boat is empty, except there's a carbon copy of them on board trying to kill them. Then, as most of them die, she sees another copy of them getting on board as well. Hmm. She gets the message that she needs to kill them all to survive and break the cycle, but for everyone she kills, an entire new set keeps showing up. So the rest of the movie is her trying to figure out how to break the cycle as bodies just keep piling up. (laughs) It's like the movie keeps going on and on, and like she does end up getting off of it but it doesn't stop so there's a scene where where she hits a seagull and she like looks down and there's just a pile of dead seagulls there so it's just like every it just keeps happening but the bodies don't disappear the bodies just keep piling there's dead bodies everywhere in this movie (laughs) it's great that sounds great yeah this movie kind of is similar to like Jacob's Ladder and kind of Groundhog's Day, but in my opinion, very, very good. I looped it in with the Bermuda Triangle, but in retrospect, I don't think it had anything to do with the Bermuda Triangle. I think it was, I don't know, maybe maybe they were trying to, I remember being like, oh, this movie's going to be great. It's about the Bermuda Triangle. It's really about bodies everywhere. I mean, I wasn't sold. disappointed. No, yeah. that sounds great. What's the name? Triangle is the name? Triangle, okay. 2009. I'll have to check it out. And the third paranormal boat disaster film I want to talk about is Ghost Ship from 2002. (laughs) I can't remember if I saw this back when it came out. I read the wiki article and the plot is like incomprehensible. It is. It's basically a fancy cruise ship from the 60s that has gold on it. And so some dummies try to find it. And when they do, they all go crazy and they either kill each other or ghost kill them. I don't know. It's ridiculous. It's chock full of shitty special effects, apparently at the expense of any actual plot line, according to critics. And it got god awful reviews. It seems that this started off as a psychological thriller and turned into a slasher very, very quickly. So quickly that when the cast arrived to start shooting, they were really disappointed because they were like, what the fuck is this script? This isn't what we signed on to. This is like a slasher movie. But it was too late to do anything about it. I will say that the opening scene of this is pretty great horror. All the rich people in the 60s are at a fancy ballroom party and this wire, it's like a piano wire that's holding up decorations and lights and such, becomes loose and it slices through the party and basically cuts everyone in half. This is like 100 people. Cuts them all in half. Yeah, yeah. Once it's done, everyone at the party just stands there for a moment in disbelief and it takes a moment for all the bodies to like separate from Mm -hmm. each other. You remember this? I do. That's the only thing I remember from that movie because that's the only good scene 
And then all the bodies start to slide apart and they all fall over in these perfectly angled segments. So at least the first four minutes of the movie is good. but Except for the little girl that's on there. That's so, right. Because she was too short. Yeah. So she watched all this happen to everybody, too. Does she She must show back up. I think like, she shows up as an adult in the ship later. Yeah. Investigating it. Or so, I don't know. Big deal. Stupid. Fucking dumb. But yeah, that's the only thing I remember from that movie. And I bet if you ask any random person who's seen it, that's all they're going to remember about that movie. It does make a lot of critics like top 20 horror scenes or gore scenes you know in a lot of lists so it struck a nerve with some people yeah, it's the only just thing that, about yeah. it yeah that did that but yeah so we just talked about three paranormal films now i want to talk about something that has nothing to do with weather paranormal stuff pirate sinking ship or matt damon hitting jude law with a paddle and this movie is open water Two: adrift from 2007 i was waiting for you to get to the open water films yeah i'm not going to talk about the first one because we already talked about an underwater slaughter and that's a shark movie yeah that's true and it's crazy to think that this movie is actually kind of like a genre defying thing because it's a sequel it has nothing to do with open water one in fact it's just a sequel by title yeah as a reminder open water is a 2004 film based on a true story where two scuba divers are accidentally left by their tour boat and get eaten by sharks open water 2 is about some friends that go out on a cruise on a small yacht it's not a true story they all jump overboard to take a swim and then realize that no one has dropped the ladder and the side of the boat is too slippery at every angle to get up i want to go swimming you boys want to take a dip (laughs) oh god no please please just put me down where's the ladder there has to be a way because sarah's still up there if it weren't for you dad i wouldn't be here right now I love this premise, but it does have some issues. Namely, once they're all down there and can't get up, well, what do you do with the rest of the 62 minutes of the movie? And this one is a little bit of a mixed bag. It's mostly their attempts to use what they have or what they can find in the water to help them get back up. But that spirals into human drama about whose fault it is and how will they die and will the sharks come and get them or will they catch hypothermia? It's not a great movie, but I love this movie because it really is different. Yeah, it is different. So now in closing, I want to talk about three relatively recent films that involve boats but are focused around non-boat specific plots. The boats help, but the themes are much more complicated than a boat getting hit by a cyclone and then going down, or will the people survive or won't they? The first is called Donkey Punch from 2008. (laughs) You seen this one? The terrible name. (laughs) Well... It's based on a thing. Yeah. As you're about to talk about. Uh huh. But it's an interesting movie, I thought. <laughs> Rough plot a bunch of awful college age kids get on a small yacht and do a bunch of drugs and go on to have rough group drug sex while another guy films it. And one performs the sex act known as the donkey punch, which accidentally kills one of the girls. They all turn on each other. Some of them want to dump the body and some want to go to the police. They accidentally and purposely all kill each other one by one until one of them is left. The movie is very much in the spirit of very bad things. I love movies where something goes wrong and then continually gets worse, a la the Coen brothers. And so I actually really like this movie, but it's pretty polarizing. Yeah, I saw some of it. I don't even know if I watched the whole thing. I mean, it's not a good movie or anything like that. We also should talk about The Life of Pi from 2012, because like Titanic, this movie got nominated for a ton of Oscars and won four, but kind of for some different reasons. 
The Life of Pi was based on a really popular book and involves a 16-year-old boy shipwrecked on a raft that he shares with a Bengal tiger. They have to learn how to live with each other and, and ultimately survive because of each other, even though they're completely at odds with one another. This story is more of a fable, and by the end it's revealed that maybe all the animals in this Noah's Ark type of setup may have actually been all different types of people that were on the boat to begin with, and the tiger may have been a person, but according to the internet, the tiger is representative of Pi learning to survive on his own with God as the tiger. God is something he both loves and fears, and sort of similar to Shailene Woodley in Adrift is the physical manifestation of his love and the need for companionship to get him through the 200 days of being on a life raft. I'm not a God person, but what I will say about this movie, didn't love it, is that there were a lot of directors that really wanted to bring this to life, but they really didn't want to fuck it up. And Ang Lee was the director that realized that he could do all of this with special effects and any one best director for this movie. So good for him. I forgot all about that. In comparison to James Cameron for Titanic, who also won Best Director, this is a good film with a good script. Critics actually really like this story, not just the special effects and how much money it made like Titanic. Although Life of Pi, like Titanic, was a huge international success as well. And so speaking of Oscars, let's talk about the most recent boat disaster film, The Triangle of Sadness from 2022, which got nominated for three Oscars, including Best Original Screenplay, Best Director, and Best Picture, and has elements of every single movie we talked about today rough plot. An influencer and her model boyfriend, who are basically together for the social media clout, gets invited onto a luxury cruise line so they'll post about it on social media. There are three levels to the caste system here. There's the ridiculously wealthy that have made their fortunes off the back of the ridiculously poor. Then there's the staff that serves them drinks and caters to their every need and whim, but do it for the tip and perks the rich people give them. And then there's the crew, the people that cook the food, clean the toilets, and run the control room. As they pass through a storm and the rich get violently ill from food poisoning and seasickness, pirates attack and the ship goes down. And in the third act, members from each of the three tiers of society end up marooned on an island and all of their roles change. The rich people are irrelevant now that that third tier, the cookers and the cleaners and the control workers, are the only ones that can keep everybody alive. Thus, they are the highest of society now on the island. Success of a luxury cruise mainly depends on you. I don't want to hear anybody saying no. It's always yes, sir, yes, ma'am. I command you, enjoy the moment. No, no, no. <laughs> what? You say no to me? No, no. Oh, so it's yes. Uh, yeah, no. Yes. Go in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> To love. To love. To love. I loved this movie, but it's billed as a dark comedy. And I warned people on Instagram, not that anyone other than me has seen this movie or will, but it really is a horror film. 
There is a scene in it of where this woman is throwing up and the boat is in a storm and she just slides in her own throw up. And so the boat is like tipping left and she's like sliding in her own puke and hits the wall. And then the boat tips the other way and she slides back in her own puke and hits the other wall. And it goes on. It probably goes on for 30 seconds, but it felt like it was hours and i have nightmares about that scene like Damn. all of the time it was this could have been a puke and jizz horrifying yeah. i could have used it in my episode back then yeah yeah that sounds disgusting oh it's awful it is not a subtle movie at all it's a dark comedy it's a bit heavy-handed but Damn. but you can also see just from my synopsis is that this movie has all of the themes that we talked about today so it's obviously got the social status themes like jack and rose from titanic you've got the weather from movies like a perfect storm and everything goes to hell plot line from donkey punch and (laughs) open water Two. you have the shipwrecked and must survive from all is lost and the pirates from captain phillips and even just the stripped back drama on a boat from knife in the water and lifeboat it's just missing a scene where an entire ballroom is sliced in half with a piano wire (laughs) yeah no shit so that is my episode on Boat Saster. What do you think? I liked it. I thought it was great. But there was a couple of things I'm surprised you didn't talk about. Mm-hmm. So one, Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason takes Manhattan. The majority of it is on a boat. Oh, really? And he kills a bunch of dumbasses on the boat. That was a complaint <laughs> about the movies. Like, he's only in New York for like 15 minutes. The rest of the movie are all these people sailing to New York on this boat. Mm-hmm. And Jason gets on there and murders everybody on the boat. So Friday the 13th, part eight. Yes, Jason yeah, takes I'm Manhattan. Not surprised I didn't talk about the eighth sequel oh, of fair something. Enough. Yeah. Fair enough. And then the other one was Das Boot, another Wolfgang mm. Peterson film. Yeah, yeah. And that is about this, and it's actually a German sub crew during World War II, and it's all about their struggles in the war. And like the, the boat almost sinks, and it's told like 90% of it is inside the submarine. Mm-hmm. And it's just them trying to fucking get the thing going or getting it, avoiding attack and detection. It's really a lot of it plays off the emotions of the actress' faces. I'd watched it again not too long ago, and I was surprised how much of it was really just facial reactions and just like movement inside the sub and this really cramped space. Mm-hmm. But it's a hero movie and got a very bleak ending you'd probably actually like it oh, sounds good yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, uh, I toyed around with whether to talk about submarines or not just because it is kind of a different a submarine and a boat are kind of different things yeah because there was also we talked about it not too long ago in another episode but was K-19 the Widowmaker yeah that's a that. submarine movie too I mean yeah. there's a lot of submarine movies but yeah, kind true. of just didn't really talk about them because usually the submarines end up being okay you know they're like a bunch of stuff happens and everybody gets out fine so, right. so I've never seen a submarine movie where everybody dies at the end well then watch Das Boot oh good good well that's perfect <laughs> but no it's it is a great film too but yeah, you're right subs are different kind of different so maybe yeah, I'll do an episode enough. on submarines I'm not gonna do that I know you're not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no it was great yeah and I learned a lot good yeah it's fun stupid I just like the word boat saster too which that's I coined great. I coined the term boat Did saster you? Yeah, you I've never heard of it before I mean I haven't either but you should put it in the urban dictionary yeah all right. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks. Ha- summer's coming, so that's a great <laughs> great time to talk about boat disasters. It is. Yeah, it's right on point. Yeah. It's, yeah, timely, I should say. We'll see you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Slums of Film History. You can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com, where you can find the links to some of the movies we talked about today. And also be sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter, where we share a lot of additional content. And if you like the show or have any comments or suggestions, please drop us an email at slumsoffilmhistory at gmail.com or write us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, please fact check us and let us know if we left anything out. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies.
the yeah. fucking auction is still going on outside. So stupid. But hopefully that'll die down Shut soon. Shut up. Shut the fuck up, everybody. <laughs> yeah. General misery, my favorite topic. <laughs> yeah. General misery was my actually was my Christian name. General <laughs> misery is basically what we've experienced all morning. <laughs> I had so many tater tots. Why? Yeah. I ordered a salad and I was like, this is the right thing to do. And then I didn't eat any of the salad. All I did was eat 5 million tater tots. I helped you. So I'm not any better. I feel like I'm going to die. Yeah. Same. This doesn't. Hold on. You really need to talk in here. It's literally in my mouth. I mean, that's generally where it's got to be. In my mouth. I mean, is that a problem? <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> glue a tater tot to it and yeah, uh, and it won't, yeah, yeah it won't be second a guess it yeah 